Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Grow Your Path to Wellness. Um, if you're new here, if this is your first time listening, my co-host Amanda and I, we host a new wellness guest every week, and we release our new episodes typically every Sunday. Uh, Amanda, this is our first episode with her coming back and joining me again. Uh, she's back co-hosting with me after her um, much much deserved, much needed uh, maternity leave after having her new little one, and I'm so excited. Um, I'm sure everybody is too. So I have to say a really quick welcome back, Amanda. I'm happy to be back. I did I did spotlight for one episode with Jenna, yeah. and yeah, I'm here. I will be very sleep deprived and not looking my best because you know I have a three month old that doesn't like to sleep through the night, obviously. So, but I'm here. We're here. Yes, we'll take any any version of of everyone, like I always say. So, but yeah, this week we're hosting a friend and a fellow TikToker, Katie. Writings. Katie, I've never said your last name out loud, but I hope I just said it correctly. Yeah, that's um, how you say it. Okay. And we're going to talk on barriers to self-advocacy and mental health treatment, as well as her own like unique perspective on being a consumer in mental health treatment uh, while also working in the field. Um, welcome, Katie. Thank you for joining us on your Sunday morning. Thank you for having me. All right, Katie, let's get into it. So we did a little brief intro. You know, we met you on TikTok, but who are you? What's your background? What do you do? And why did you pick this topic? Why did you feel like this was an important one to share on today? Okay. Uh, Katie, I live in Wisconsin, so Midwest. Um, I went to school and got a uh, bachelor's degree in psychology and women's studies. Um, graduated way back when 2013. Um, since then, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, so a lot of like group homework, um, personal care stuff, um, which I loved but didn't love. Um, and I've done a couple of nonprofits. Right now, um, I'm currently at a nonprofit um, workforce resource. And I'm a career planner, aka case manager, um, for individuals in the FSET program. It's the Food Share Employment and Training Program. I never actually say the whole thing out. It's just FSET. Um, and so I meet with people um, who are on food share, so lower income, um, and we create employment goals um, and training goals. But really, it's kind of any goal. We make an employment plan. That's what we call it. Um, but I mean, I see people who um, some of their goals are housing um, because they're homeless. They have no transportation. Um, some of them are wanting to, you know, work on mental wellness. Um, and then obviously there's like the, you know, getting jobs and then we help with schooling and stuff like that, too. Um, definitely very rewarding, but very stressful. Is food share similar? Sorry, is that that's the same thing? So continue. Is that like food assistance benefit through the county? We like here in Ohio, we would call that like our SNAP program, like supplemental nutrition. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then why this topic today? Uh, well, everything mental health is uh, pretty important to me. Um, but I would say within the last couple of years, um. I've really struggled with uh, some stuff with 
not necessarily my mental health, but getting like proper care for it um, because of these barriers. And if, and I know if I am experiencing, experiencing some of these barriers and I feel like I'm pretty self-aware and able to, um, I don't know, advocate for myself. I can't imagine what it might be like for people who aren't necessarily um, as self-aware or as vocal or all that stuff. Absolutely. And I know, and I know we're going to talk on the topic, so I'm not going to disclose anything, but you and I have, you know, had different conversations on, on different experiences that you have had on your own journey. And then you get the other side of the coin on like the case manager side. I know you're, are you specific? Well, I know in our field how blended roles can get. So do you primarily like do career case management or do you find yourself kind of people are walking systems? So it's not, I'm sure you're not just uh, working with people on career aspects of, of wellness. Yeah. So, I mean, they have to be like the employment plans are career focused. So, I mean, usually there's some kind of employment goal. Um, a lot of times um, people will say, well, I just want a job or, um, you know, I, I just want to have housing. And um, oftentimes I'll encourage them and, you know, I'll say we could put any kind of goal you want on there. It doesn't have to be um a job related it doesn't have to be um, a training related if you want to learn more about this topic like let's find some online trainings um, if housing is a barrier for you to get employment then let's put that on there technically it's not an employment goal but it leads it can help lead to employment it's like a stepping stone and and kelsey and i i think in our very first episodes we did the eight dimensions of wellness didn't we we broke it down yeah of like financial wellness mental uh mental wellness physical wellness spiritual wellness all those things so they all come together um and i worked for a housing first program way back when when i first started so you know with the idea of giving people housing before you focus on anything else so that they can have that safe place to heal from substance use to you know have be mentally stable and get access to treatment to have an address to put down on an application when you're applying places right when i worked with homeless populations that was one of the biggest things is what are they going to do put down the shelter address that they felt embarrassed by that so yeah absolutely i think those things are all tied together and yeah so then it's like we're navigating <clears throat> in our own personal life our own we all, every human has mental health. We've already talked on the whole stigma tied to that compared to other areas of health. But yeah, I figured in your role and things, you see other barriers that different people face as well. So let's let's jump into just the general, uh, some of many, as I kind of typed out in my own bullet points, some of the many barriers that people face when in, engaging and pursuing their own mental health treatment. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think that I've probably been really lucky and I've not had as many barriers as other people. Um, so for that, I'm thankful. Um, but the barriers that I've experienced have been extremely frustrating. Um, and so I can't even imagine. Um, I'd say one of the biggest things for me um, so I've been a mental health uh, consumer since I was 19. 
I am 31 now, so I don't, I can't do the math this morning. 11, 12 years. I don't. I know. I could speak for myself. I don't math, but <laughs> I think it's 12. Um, and uh, it's just kind of been a struggle fest. I, it started pretty rough, um, and then it was pretty smooth for a while, and then, you know, changes. So, um, it started when I was in college. Um, and the biggest barrier there was, um, I would say initial pushback, um, cause I had that stigma myself of like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to go to therapy. Um, I know when I was in uh, elementary school, my, my parents divorced and the guidance counselor, um, brought, uh, my siblings and I to her office. And then we would read these books and I'm like, seriously, like, I just want to go back to class. Um, and I was always like, oh, so you want to talk about your feelings, you know? Um, so, you know, I was really struggling. I had a, um, a staff member on campus who was amazing. She was my college coach. Um, um, I was a first generation college student, low income. And so, um, I was eligible for the program and I'm like, heck yeah, like I'll take all the help I can get, um. And she knew I was struggling um, with some regular health stuff too, which then kind of affected the mental health as well. Um, and she's like, Katie, you know, I think you, you should really, you know, go see counseling services. And I was like, oh, I don't know, you know. Um, and I didn't have insurance at the time either. Um, Badger Care, so like our state insurance booted me off um, when I was 19. Um, I was on it when I was younger. And then booted me off when I was 19, even if I had no income, um, which was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but so I was utilizing like uh, the student health services, which um, was, I would say, subpar at the time. And then um, so when it came to counseling services, I was like, I can't do it. And her name was Julia. That was the college coach. Um, She's like, well, let's, I'll walk you up there. Let's go up there and make an appointment. So if I, if she would not have walked me up there, there is no way I would have went in there and, and made the appointment for myself, but just her walking with me and made the appointment. And I'm not, and I'm somebody who, if there's an appointment, like, I'm not going to just like not show. Um, Cause I feel like that's irresponsible, at least like to me personally. Um, and so that, you know, was a whole thing. So I was with, student health or uh, student health services dealing with some health issues and then counseling services which i would say is not was not a good fit for me um they're more i think it's like seven sessions in a semester is like what they aimed for that or less and i was um, needing a lot more than that um just because it was the beginning and struggling and College is a huge transition. Um, and so um, there was actually some, there's some kind of traumatic um, experiences with uh, counseling services because they're not, I would say they're not trained in a lot of things. A lot of them are fresh out of getting their master's and um, in mental health counseling, <clears throat> not social work, just mental health counseling. Um, we have a master's program in like a town that's half an hour away and we have a lot of those people um I was lucky and I had a intern as my um counselor at the time so that was cool because she was my age ish 
um, but she also was not as experienced. And so, you know, some calls were made th times that didn't need calls made. Um, and yeah, so uh, there was there was definitely some trauma there, um, which is probably not exactly what you want when you're going to counseling. Um, but in the in the end, I went um, for probably six or seven months. And they said, um, at one point they said, Katie, I think, I think you're just too complicated. Like we, we, we can't, we cannot uh, handle what you need. And I was like, uh, okay, like, what do you want me to do? Like, um, and they said, so um, we're gonna discharge you. Um, so you need to find somebody else, um, but we'll stick with you till you find somebody. And I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever. Um, as somebody not having an insurance, um, I had to call all of the places around town to see if they had sliding scales, any of that. I was a poor college student. Um, so even $20 for a session is way too much. Um, and so I thought I found somebody, it was, it was, I think it was $25 a session. Um, and so I scheduled the initial appointment. It was an intern, which I was not happy about because as soon as they were done with their internship, like they were gonna move on. And so like, I don't wanna keep switching people. Um, that's not helpful. Um, so I made the appointment and then for some reason, I don't know what it was, but I ended up not going with that place. Um, but counseling services had already discharged me. Um, uh, and then there was a time period when I didn't have anybody. Um, so that was not good. <clears throat> they, yeah, they discharged me without me like being established somewhere else. So that was problematic. Um, I mean, I'm thankful for counseling services, but it was, it was a struggle fest. Um, so, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but there's so many things going through my head that I just have to like put little pins in to talk about because I'm sorry that you had that experience and I don't want people to be, this is so frustrating because I want people to feel comfortable to share their experiences that they've had with seeking support, whether that's going to a doctor or specialist or getting mental health treatment, even if it wasn't great because you deserve that and you should, we should honor that. And yet at the same time, I think it can put people more like back further into their like never mind I don't want to seek help because listen to what happened to that person and that person and that person and I think with like upfront informed consent we could do so much better right like I the college experience you had was the same that I had so like I my uncle um passed away from an overdose when I was in college and it was really detrimental to me and I was trying to get in to see somebody but I couldn't afford it and they were like go to college counseling and I did that and I ended up getting a um counseling they were doing they were grad students and they had to record the sessions and she was like I could tell she was like by the book like you know it was very robotic and it was not helpful for me what I needed whatsoever and then but at the same time like from hearing your experience it's like I said with informed consent if they just at the beginning because I used to it's reminding me sorry I'm going so many places with this but when I did brief intervention in primary care offices right at the beginning I had to say 
this is my role. This is what I can see you for. I can see you for six to eight sessions doing basic coping skills. I can teach you how to manage your anxiety with some breath work, some CBT, some whatever. Anything beyond that, you know, we'll refer out, we'll get you connected to someone and I can be a bridge for you. I'll see you in between, I'll give you some resources, right? So people knew up front if they had major trauma, if they had, um, you know, just more needs than I could serve them in that role, that I wasn't gonna start seeing them and then be like, never mind, you're too much. Because that's, some, that's something that you end up internalizing then. Like, what's wrong with me? But really, that program wasn't meant for you, and that's okay. And then right. the other thing that's frustrating is the continuity of care that didn't happen for you. There was no resource list or here's some numbers or anything like that, which is standard, that all of those things should be happening if we're doing true informed consent and trauma-informed care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where and are I, you at I, now? And, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just like my brain was like grasping on to like just up until this point in the story and thank you for sharing your story mm-hmm. but the multiple types of barriers because I've I've had my own role of being but I was licensed thank goodness the university that I contracted with um and was on campus for you know I was a licensed clinician I had experience whatever but um I had three sessions it was, it was made clear to me that was my role. So I, like Amanda was saying, I made that clear that that was my role, but it was, it, it hurt, it hurt my feelings sometimes. Cause I'm like, and then you have that continuity of care of trying to find somewhere for them to go as far as lacking providers in the area or the, I heard in your story, the insurance barriers um, or financial barriers, or and I do a lot of work in my own practice with, um, college age students it's one of a niche that found me i think um and i love it but very real things that people face and i feel like in the college world none of those tools are handed to you like and and we need to do better and making things clear and teaching people like i always say to even all of my young adult clients and i felt it myself at 18 or 19 or however old i feel like we're made to have this expectation to have our whole life figured out but at the same time we're viewed as like knowing nothing Mm -hmm. i'm like so can we like can we bridge things for these people and it sounds like you were one of those that that didn't get that unfortunately yeah yeah but uh so now jump forward to now there's you know there's a couple more struggles but now i have been with my current therapist for oh but as since then pretty much um um, there was a a little bit of jumping around and then I was hooked up with my current therapist um I initially started seeing her there was the clinic had like a program for people who didn't have very much income so like their health care was covered um so that was great um and I got a psychiatrist at that point too um who i mean was a psychiatrist i didn't know much about about psychiatry or what to expect um and then you know as i started you know having income i actually had to you know pay for insurance which is really pricey anyways um and then it doesn't cover everything so then you have to pay for you know your own stuff um Right now, my insurance until the end of the year is great. 
um, and has been wonderful this year. Um, I pay a, a lot through work, um, but it's been free mental health care. Um, so uh, I have been having individual therapy. I've had couples therapy. I have group weekly DBT therapy. Um, and so they're trying to, you know, get insurance bids for next year for the program. Um, and uh, like the insurance barrier is extremely scary again, because I don't know what they're going to have for coverage. Um, I've been super lucky this year to be able to have free coverage. Well, not free, but, you know, free mental health care for paying, you know, that stuff. And the usage was high. So they wanted to find a new provider, you know, a new insurance provider. And I'm like, well, I'm probably why the usage was high, but I don't even care. Um, why pay for it if you're not going to use it? Um, but, you know, just thinking like, okay, if, you know, it's not free. And even if they start charging, you know, like $20 a session, you know, for copay, like, well, group's going to go out the window. Uh, a couple's is going to go out the window. And then I'm probably going to decrease, you know, the sessions with my individual. So it, it, like the never knowing, like, it's just crazy. Um, yeah. So that insurance is huge. That's like a grieving process in itself too. Is like you're in this anticipatory grief state. Like, am I going to lose this person that I made this connection with? Like, am I going to be able to access these resources? And I want to challenge you because I think you internalize like, I'm, I'm a problem and I'm using all the benefits. But like the field that you work in, yeah. Um, hello, the world we've been living in the last two years. Yeah. And mental health, the wellness services, the preventative things are the things that we should be engaging in more. Mm -hmm. But our society doesn't put um, as much of a emphasis on, right? We don't put an emphasis on preventative care as we do sick care. So challenge yourself on that. You're, you're not the problem. You're you're the you're the um, example that we should be following. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was like, the system is is made to. And again, we don't want this just to be such a a down feeling episode. But we have to be real about these things because. This, the system, I'll just use that very blanket term, is going to do its best, unfortunately, the way that ours is set up to make us feel like the burden so that way things can benefit them. So it can be a hard thing to, to take power back from something that feels so big. Yeah, so, um, and it was definitely a hard year with, um, we actually lost two um one like direct coworker for uh, my nonprofit um at the beginning of the year and like the week prior um a coworker in the job center um um we lost him in a very very tragic way um both of them are very tragic so um i would hope that when they're looking at like insurance bids that they're going to like take into account like it was a really really hard year like we see some pretty like traumatic things here, traumatic things. Um, and we can't take care of, um, you know, advocating or helping or cheerleading for other people if we're not present and halfway there ourselves. <clears throat> so, yeah. 
What, Katie, I just want to ask, like, given all the barriers you experienced, it could have been very easy for someone to say, F it. I tried. I tried and tried again, and this isn't worth it. Like, I just keep getting shot down. I had that traumatic thing happen when I was in college with that, you know, counselor. What made you keep going? Um, probably, I would say uh, stubbornness, because I don't like to give up. Um, Although uh, my depression tells me otherwise, obviously. Um, I would say definitely the rapport with my therapist that I have now, like knowing like she and I have went through a lot um, and like she's my go-to person and I can't imagine having to describe, you know, you know, like fill somebody else in um, if I were to switch to somebody else. Um, that would be like, I was very lucky to get who I did get after a couple of not fits. Um, but I was like, well, you know, they say that this is going to work. So I guess I'll try again, you know? Um, but having a therapist who I have a amazing relationship with, um, has helped, especially when it came to trying to find a psychiatrist. Um, which was a whole nother issue um, because my therapist switched clinics um, uh, four, three years ago, something like that. Um, and my insurance, um, there was a whole insurance thing again. Um, and I was like, well, I don't really like my psychiatrist, the original one anymore, but I had seen her for like eight years. Um, I mean, I, she did what she needed to do, I guess. Um, but I always said, well, I'm going to go to my appointment in the waiting room because, you know, I spent more time in the waiting room than with her. Um, Katie, not to cut you off, I'm sorry, but I was going to say here, I think one of the biggest barriers, like in my clinical work and, and this is where I feel like, and again, therapists also, you know, we have to it's our job to make people feel seen and heard and, and respected. But I think I hear two pieces. One piece is like with the psychiatry aspect, the difference and that feeling of the feeling heard and, and seen can be very difficult in that area of mental health care. And the other piece kind of the on that uh, other end of the spectrum is when you find a provider that is a good fit for you um it makes a world of a difference but it can be very defeating feeling along along that process as, as well but with the psychiatry piece I feel like I've done a lot of work with my own clients and things as far as what are some ways that we can get you know you can go into that appointment like okay if that person's gonna make me feel like I'm spending more time in the waiting room when I am with them what skills can I use to communicate what I need? How can I be intentional with that appointment? How do I express the, you know, these things? I'm not, I may not change the entire system, but I deserve to feel seen and heard. And what can I do in that appointment or that time that I have with that person to, to get that somehow? I think the other thing too, I'd always find interesting is that people, there's like this theme that regardless of whether the relationship was working out between them and their provider, whether it's a doctor, 
cardiologist, a therapist, a psychiatrist, people still keep going and like submitting themselves to that torture and then complain about it. Right. And I've been there too. Right. So it's not, but it's interesting because if you think about it as any other relationship, everybody you meet in the world, right? Like if you meet people at work or through friend groups, you're not going to be friends or best friends or even acquaintances with all those people. But the people that you do find and you want to stick with, you stick with, right? And there's no, like, you don't force yourself to keep being around those people you don't like. But we do that in professional relationships. And I find it so interesting because when I, especially when I worked in the doctor's office, this would happen often. And I'd be like, okay, you don't like that psychiatrist or okay, you don't like that cardiologist. They don't treat you like a human or whatever. You know, they, they don't listen to you. You're not heard. Well, I'm going to help you find another one within your insurance plan. Oh, I don't want them to feel what their feelings like they're making money off you what are you talking about get out of here so that's just a point i had to bring up is that we i don't know and i don't know what that is it obviously it can be so many different things for so many different people but i feel like the system dictates our treatment when it's it's our treatment that we should be dictating And I think that person's experience getting up to that provider is huge. And because like so many things, and I, we don't have to go off on a, all of the things that could contribute to that, but that feeling of already feeling defeated. It's like, well, I'm getting, I'm getting something from seeing this person and something is better than the nothing that I was getting, which is so sad and so awful that that is how people are feeling in these types of relationships or it's like I don't feel seen and heard but there's a lack of it's like a, a step a stairway of nothing but barriers and they look back and they're like yeah I don't I can't I can't go back there but it, finding the people that actually do help bridge that gap I think is is huge and my and I've talked to Katie and like for my clients and it's not about me but I always say, like, I can be somebody's, some other per clinician's, like, worst nightmare. I will call you. I will email you. I will, I will do <laughs> whatever I need to do. And I feel like I wish, I feel like that's, and then that can go back to our own, everything's so intertwined. Or uh, for those providers, how are we taking care of ourselves? So we can have that in order to give that to our clients, family, like just different areas of life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I switched clinics, there was a, like a two year gap of not having a psychiatrist because there was none available um, that had openings, um, which to go from having one and then not having one and then having my primary be the prescriber who um, is wonderful otherwise. Um, I, this is not internalized Amanda and Kelsey, but I am a complicated person. I get it. Like, I actually like that I'm complicated. Like, I'm difficult to figure out. But when it comes to meds, um, I'm very complicated. So it has to be just the right stuff. Um, and so, you know, a primary care is not the person to do that. Um, she did hook me up with a program that was 
great for a while, but a whole lot of mess as well, um, where I don't even remember what it's called. It was like a coordinated care program. Um, and I think when I met you guys, I was in the middle of the coordinated care program and I was like in the frustration stage. So the beginning was great. Um, Cause I had uh, a nurse like a, who specialized in like behavioral health stuff who I would talk to each week. We'd talk about how I was feeling, but it wasn't like a, a therapy appointment. It was like just a check in on symptoms type stuff. Um, and then, so she had a caseload of people and then she would like consult with a psychiatrist. Um, Sounds like she was the bridge. Yeah. Um, like a nurse care manager type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, then, and you're individual. You're an in, unique individual. You are not complicated. I was going to wow. say your physical body has needs, Katie, yeah. and we need somebody that can understand what those needs are. Yeah. And we see you. <laughs> and I always yeah. tell people that your PCP is like the first person to start with as far as like meds or anything like that. But I think people don't realize that. Um, general doctors general practitioners get one rotation of psych in med school and it's usually like at the hospital on the psychiatric unit <laughs> so unless those doctors have taken it upon themselves to specialize or do additional training and education in behavioral health they're probably not the person you want to be seeing um for more unique needs right like um you know like adjustment things depressed mood that isn't you know extensive or things like that sure they can prescribe things but beyond that you really wanted to see a psychiatrist and there is a major shortage of psychiatrists across the country so that's the frustrating part too yeah so the the coordinated care program i was in i i don't know that when i went into it i don't think i knew that it was going to be just a year-long program um, I thought it was going to be until I could get hooked up with a psychiatrist. Um, I, she might have told me, I don't remember. Maybe I <laughs> blissfully like just ignored it because I was like, ooh, we gotta, you know, something's gonna happen. Um, but as I was getting towards the end, I was like, I feel like the nurse isn't hearing what I'm saying. Um, because I was like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do now that you're going to graduate me or like uh, disenroll me from the program? But uh, what am I supposed to do now? Um, and she, uh, you know, you're supposed to go back to your primary. And I'm like, but I thought the whole point of the program was kind of like a wait list to a psychiatrist. Um, fast forward to the very, very end. So I didn't feel like I was getting listened to. Um, I actually made an appointment with my primary and I'm like, hey, I don't feel like you're getting the whole picture because the nurse talked to the psychiatrist and my primary. Um, I was like, I don't think you're getting the whole picture. I think you are, you guys think that like, I'm like worried about like abandonment, you know, but that's not what it is. It's just, I want to have like, the different pieces of like my care team like together um and I remember I was <clears throat> I talked about this with my individual therapist a lot um and then uh my couples therapist I would say is a little more uh, I don't know if I would say 
I don't know if I would say abrasive, but not like abrasive, like not in a bad way, but she's like, Katie, uh, just uh, message your primary and be like, I want a referral for a psychiatrist, like a consult immediately. And she said, if you have any problems, let me know. And I was like, okay, like gonna sick the therapist on the, the primary. Okay, we, we can get this. So yeah, I think it was a couple of weeks later, I had the consult um, and I met with a psychiatrist and like a nurse practitioner in the, she works directly with the psychiatrist and she's only in the behavioral health stuff. Um, I had like a two hour long consult and I talked my head off just like everything. And I don't think they're used to that. Um, and they're like, okay, we have to actually cut you off now. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But since then I've been working with just the nurse practitioner. Um, and I meet with her, I've met with her monthly for the last couple months. Um, and just feeling like I'm being heard, like, those appointments with her could last 15 minutes, but I had one last an entire hour because the the previous day I had some um, some pretty crappy stuff happen at work. Um, and so she's like, how are you doing, Katie? And I was like, that's a dangerous question. And then I just started, you know, bawling. Um, and she was amazing. Um, so again, super lucky. I love her. She's great. I have an amazing uh, individual therapist. I have an amazing couples therapist. I have an amazing, amazing group, DBT group facilitator. Um, so I've got a whole crew of people, which is amazing. Um, thankfully, because of insurance, which has been helpful. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the insurance, the, the finances has been an issue. Um, not feeling heard and then like trying to fight the I would say the don't make waves like thought that I have in my head all the time like don't be a difficult person Katie like just just do what they say and that's what I that's how I was for probably the first eight years of any of my behavioral health you know treatment I was just like okay take this med okay you know like um and um, so fighting that and then having like my couple of therapists be like, no, just send them a message and be like, I want this now. Um, and like, it was just like frustration and then it was anger, but then like, I got what I needed because I like stood up for myself and I was like, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Again, it's like that weird, like internalized power differential. Like we think that I can't say how I'm really feeling because this person has a white coat on mm -hmm. or my needs don't matter. You know, I'm too much. I'm complicated, you know, um, but our needs, yeah, our needs matter and are valid. Yeah. Oh, Katie, this is so good. I'm so thankful <laughs> for you and your vulnerability and your willingness to share your journey. It's honestly going to help so many people that are stuck along some point there, right? Like, you know, if they've had a negative experience and are nervous about reaching out again or, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Kelsey, did you have any last words before I close out here? No, I I love that you brought up the, the internal dialogue piece and saying like, sometimes we can be in our own way and not 
realize it because of our own experiences, because of the the systems at play. So it's a very vulnerable thing to share. So thank you. And I'm so proud of you. That's all I, that's all I want to say. <laughs> I agree. I am too. Um, Katie, we always ask all of our, our guests at the very end if they have any last minute words for our audience. So that could be like a mantra you live by, your favorite quote, or just something that you come up with right now that you want to leave them with. Oh my goodness. Uh, I know. We put you on the spot. It's okay. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, I guess I haven't ever listened to the very end of your podcast. Sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. um, you, you get me in the beginning and then I just... Um, you can even build off of like your story or something like a takeaway. Not to put things in your mouth, but yeah, uh, I would just say like I something that my that my individual therapist and I talk about a lot is like if you had a best friend that was dealing with the same thing that you're dealing with right now. Like, what would you say to them? Would you tell them, oh, you're being too much? Or, you know, or would you say, you know what? Send that person that that email, like, and advocate for yourself because you're not being too much. You, you know, you deserve to get proper care and you deserve to be your own best friend. Ooh, I love that. Be your own best friend. See, you add it. I love it. Oh, Katie, thank you so much again for being here. You're welcome back anytime. Um, we appreciate you sharing your journey. Uh, for those of you that, uh, like, like Kelsey said, make sure you like, comment, subscribe so you don't miss out on our most recent episodes. We always love feedback, so if you have any comments or questions, feel free to send that in. Um, and then next week, Katie knows um of this person we have so many tiktok friends that we have had on our podcast next week we are hosting jason levin um he is known as not your therapist dude on tiktok um and he's going to be talking on the use of humor in therapy which i'm really excited about because i also use humor slash sarcasm in my therapy as well so um stay tuned for that one and we look forward to um more episodes with you all in the new year so take care bye everyone thank you take care bye